Don't you love it when uh, our worship team finishes and we still have a song in our heart? I like that. I'll find myself humming it for, I don't know, another day or two. (laughs) As we start tonight, I just want to invite you to open up your Bibles, Proverbs chapter 6. We're still in that section, remember, the first nine chapters is a father to his son, encouraging his son to walk in wisdom, in which he gives us three personifications of wisdom. And in those personifications of wisdom, each one of those point to Christ. Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 tell us that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hid in Christ Jesus our Lord. He is the personification of wisdom. So we, we see and we hear this call of a father to his son to walk in wisdom. Today, he's going to say, uh, he's going to give three lessons or four, depending on how you want to look at it. The, the last two kind of go together, uh, about uh, lessons about the kind of people you ought to stay away from. You ever had that kind of talk with one of your kids? No? Yes? If you haven't, you will. <clears throat> Some people wear that shirt, right? I'm the one your mom warned you about. Yeah? So here's what the... These are, these are specific ones, specific things that the, that the Lord war, warns His children about. Hey, watch out for this. Watch out for this. And so we want to have eyes to see what it is that the Lord has for us uh, this evening. So Proverbs chapter 6, we'll do the first 19 verses. Take a look. My son, if you have put up security... For your neighbor have given your pledge for a stranger. If you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself. For you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go, hasten, plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep, your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of a hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Second lesson, go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer, gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Lesson three. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger. With perverted heart he devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment he will be broken beyond healing. For there are six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes... A lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, and a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among his brothers. Let's pray. God, as we uh, lift up your word this evening, God, we pray that you would guide us, lead us, help us to recognize the call of wisdom, the call of wisdom to walk the path of life, not the path that leads to death. Help guard us, Lord, against our own mind that would say there is a way that seems right to a man, 
but he finds himself on the path of death. We don't want to be on that path, God. We want to be on your path, the path of life. We pray, Lord, that you bless our time together and bless your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, three warnings he gives us. First, against the surety. So that's a old English way of saying the, the person you're guaranteeing a loan for. Okay? The second one he warns us against is a sluggard, the lazy man. And the third one he warns us against is the troublemaker. And he's going to describe each one's. And what I want you to ask yourself, remember, as we've been looking at this discussion about wisdom, and we've been looking at the book of Proverbs, over and over and over again, the Proverbs talks about the road that we're on, right? Where does it lead? Oftentimes, we'll talk about uh, having a concept of where you're trying to get, right? If you don't know where you're going, well, that's good news, you'll always be there. Where you don't know where you're going, Yeah? But if you have a plan, like, look, I want to, this is where I'm trying to get. This is my goal in life. This is my, this is my goal in marriage. This is my goal in my career. This is the, the, the place for which I'm aiming. I'm putting my efforts. Then I can tell in the decisions I make, am I getting there? Or are the decisions I'm making getting me away from there? So when we look at the book of Proverbs, you have two paths. The Bible talks about one is the road to death and one is the road to life. In the uh, Torah, the Lord declared to his people, he said, see, I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. So choose life. And that's the call of Proverbs. The way of wisdom, which I'm trying to, to share and enlighten you with is the way following Christ then that way is the way of life. And I want to be careful that I'm not a guy making his own way. Because the book of Proverbs is going to talk to us about that. There is a way that seems right to a man. But it doesn't go where I'm trying to get. It just wanders off onto the path of death. We want to follow that which the Lord has laid out for. So let's look first at the surety, the guarantee for another person's loan. That's the idea. So that's what the Bible is saying. Here's the intro. The foolish situation. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, given pledge for a stranger, if you are snared in the words of your mouth, or caught in the words of your mouth, it's saying, look, son, if you decided to make yourself the guarantee for someone else's loan, that's not the way of wisdom. It's not the way of life. He says you've, You've put yourself up. The idea is you've given security. You guys remember the story maybe of, of Tamar out of the Old Testament? I don't know if you do or you don't. Maybe this will bring it to your remembrance. Judah had a couple of sons. And one was married to Tamar and he died. So Judah said to his other son, Take Tamar as your wife and bring up uh, sons for your brother who died so that his, his lineage, his name doesn't perish from the face of the earth. And he despised that role, and so God killed him. So now he has two dead sons, and then son number three, he's starting to think Tamar's a black widow, and he, doesn't, he won't give her son number three. And so uh, he promises her, but he doesn't do it. Judah goes away to sell off his sheep, and, and so Tamar dresses up like a harlot, and she goes out on the roadside. And Judah, as he's passing by, sees his harlot, thinks, what a great idea. Um, Makes a deal with her. 
says, look, I haven't sold any of my sheep yet, but when I do, I'll, I'll bring you back payment. He sleeps with her and he leaves her two things. He leaves his security, his pledge with her, staff and a ring. And that was, that's the concept when it says, have you given your pledge to someone? In other words, have you given something of yourself to say, I'm going to back this debt for somebody else? And the idea here in the text is not necessarily that this is one of your kids or this is somebody that you know or somebody that you can trust. It's just making a bad decision and saying, I'm going to guarantee this guy's, this guy's uh, even though I don't know him. Look, I don't do that. For, we have people come all the time to Calvary Chapel Buell. And I, I got thrown out of uh, our apartment and I, I can't get another one. Can you help me get a, an apartment? Uh, no. I mean, I can, I can help you. I can point you in the right direction. I can give you people to talk to, but I'm not going to sign saying, well, just in case this guy totally destroys this house, I'll put the church up against him staying in this place because that's not wise. So here the Bible is warning against doing that. Don't put yourself up as surety, as a guarantee for a loan. And this is what he says in verse 3. Not only don't do it, but if you're in it, get out of it now. Look what it says in verse 3. Then do this, my son, and save yourself. For you have come into the hand of your neighbor. You're under somebody else's control and you're going to get burned. So he says, go hasten, plead urgently with your neighbor. Just in case you don't understand the urgency. What's the next line? Give your eyes no sleep. He says, don't go to sleep. Don't go to bed until you got this turned around. Don't do it. Get out as quick as you can. Give your eyes no slumber. There's urgency. Now there's two words that are used synonymously here. The neighbor and the stranger. The neighbor and the stranger. The neighbor and the stranger. They're, they're synonymous terms. But the idea between them is, because the Bible is very clear, when we're to love our neighbor, who's your neighbor? Is there somebody who's not your neighbor? So the idea is that, that the word neighbor is very broad. But the concept here is, this is not, this is not somebody, this is not your brother. This is not, I mean, sometimes maybe it's bad to do with your brother, but you'll know that going in, right? So the warning of wisdom. Don't give yourself as surety. Don't give yourself as a guarantee for someone else. Okay? It's not the same thing. It's not talking about loaning money. It's not, it's just saying don't, you're not the co-signer for somebody. You're not putting up your name saying, I promise they're going to take care of it. How many, how many stories have I heard of, of moms, grandmas who have uh, lost untold hundreds or thousands of dollars putting up bail for their kids uh, to let them get out of jail only to get burned because their name's up as surety for their loved one who doesn't care. Earlier today I was talking with... Uh, an elderly gentleman who lost his wife. And the very first words that his wife's son said to him when he called and said, Hey, your mom died, was, um, would you make sure I get all her prescription pills? I can sell those for a lot of money. So, don't put yourself out as surety. Because that's foolishness. Recognize, have eyes of wisdom that say, uh, we're all broken people, and it's not some kind of condemnation. 
But I'm not necessarily helping when I do that. All I'm doing is hurting me. Does that make sense to everyone? All I'm doing is hurting me. All I'm doing is hurting my family. I remember my son one time came home in high school, and, and sometimes my kids would bring strays, you know, kittens, puppies, dogs they found. Uh, they bring them home. In this case, he brought a person. And uh, just happened to be a pretty girl, so I'm sure that had nothing to do with it. And he comes walking in with her, and he says, Oh, Dad, she don't have nowhere to stay. She got thrown out of her house. And, and I said, Man, that's, that's rough. Can't she stay here? No. Why not? Because I'm not sacrificing you for her. I'll do what I can to help her. But I'm, my, my job is not to sacrifice my children to try to save someone else that I don't even know. Have, I'm not going to put my family up as surety. You guys understand? So this is what I think that the Bible is talking about here. Warning against putting up surety. Look what else. Just in case you don't think that there's an urgent call to get out of that situation. Don't put yourself in it. Get out of that situation. Look at verse 5. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of a hunter. Now the, the closest picture I can draw to the gazelle is the antelope. Anybody here ever try to sneak up on an antelope? So there's some ways to do it. But I, I will tell you this. If the antelope knows you're there, what happens? He's gone. Zippy. Yeah. And all that hour of trying to sneak up on him was just a giant waste. Because he's seen you, and as soon as he's seen you, he ran. And that's the same picture God's using here. He says, be like the gazelle. When you see that and you recognize this is trouble, don't do it. Here's what God's saying. This is the way of wisdom. Here's my question. If you don't listen, if you don't hear the Lord's advice, which road are you on? What road are you on? It's not the road of life. We all want to be people of compassion. But have we learned yet that it's not always loving to bail somebody out of their problems? Yeah, sometimes. It's not, that's not always the loving thing. Sometimes the loving thing is letting them have to deal a little bit with what's going on, right? So we want to recognize, don't be the surety, understand? Understand, where does that road lead? What is the, per, what is the point, what is the purpose that he's laying out for us? Be quick to stay away from it. Don't get wrapped up in it. Okay, so that's the first one. Number one, watch out for the one who wants you to guarantee their loans. Number two, watch out for the sluggard. The sluggard. Now I want you to understand, this is a theme that's going to come up over and over and over in, in Proverbs. This, this concept, like the mocker is the sluggard. So the sluggard is this. He's unreliable, procrastinating. Uh, his nature makes him a constant source of irritation to all those who try to do any kind of business with him. He's ashamed to his parents, and he destroys the family inheritance. That's the way the Bible describes the sluggard. Okay, so this is, a, this is what it's talking about. In verse uh, chapter 6, verse 6, he says, So go to the ant, O sluggard. Lesson number 2. Go look at the ant. Learn from what the ant does. So he's 
talking to this person who's described like what I just told you, someone who's a constant source of irritation to those who try to do business with him, a shame to his parents, and squanders the family inheritance. Remember the, the two sons? One son comes to his dad and said, Dad, I wish you were dead. Would you give me my inheritance now and let me go spend it on riotous living? You remember? Call it the story of the prodigal son. What did he do when he got his inheritance? So he blew it, right? Squandered it all? Okay, this is what the Bible describes as a sluggard, okay? Not always just the picture of someone who won't get out of bed, although sometimes that's how he's described. So he says, go to the animal sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise. So what is the call? I want you to hear what he's saying. Sluggard, you're on the wrong road. The road you're on leads to, leads to death. This is not the way of life. So there's time, right, to change the road you're on. There's time to change your direction. So consider what happens with the ant. Just look at the ant. Look at the ant. Learn the lesson that the ant has to say and be wise. What is the lesson? Look at it in verse 7. Without having any chief or officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in the harvest. So what, do I, what is he saying? Well, what about the ant? It's self-discipline. The ant doesn't wake up in the morning to somebody sounding reveille. They're not an alarm clock. The ant wakes up. Nobody, he doesn't have to go to somebody and say, what should I do today? The ant knows. Every ant knows its role within the colony. And the ant gets up and does, it fulfills its role. It has self-discipline. It has foresight. In other words, it knows the things that are out there that it says, man, I, I need to accomplish. These are things I have to get done. Right? There's nobody forcing the ant to do those things. It runs a prudent industry. What do I mean? There's, there's no taskmaster. It makes bread when it's time to make bread. It knows that it needs to prepare. Right? Because here in a couple more months, there are not going to be no ants out there, is there? You're not going to see too many. You dig down in the snow as far as you want. You're probably not going to see any of them little ants crawling around. So they know. They understand it's time to make bread, and they understand preparing for the winter you need to be prepared so this is the lesson he says look you need to understand there's no one telling the ant what to do the ant just does it look at it you can get up in the morning look there they are they're marching off what are they doing gathering up their food where are they bringing it back into the nest into the colony utilizing it uh, saving it storing it so that they are able to survive the winter so then look at the condemnation in verse 9. So how long will you lie there, O sluggard? So picture the guy, he's laying in bed. And, uh, and wisdom is saying, how long are you going to lay here? The ant's already been working. It's time for harvest, man. Winter's coming. Are you preparing? What are you doing? When will you arise from your sleep? And then it has this phrase. Look at the phrase. A little sleep. A little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. What that's talking about is there are small increments. There's small choices, right? And we, we first we make a small poor choice in, in uh, uh, whatever, having a little slumber. Then we have a little rest. And then we have a little folding of the hands. And little by little by little, we find ourselves in a place that we don't want to be. 
It emphasizes all the lost moments, all the lost chances, all the lost opportunities. He doesn't just outright come to immediate refusal. He deceives himself by small surrenders. Little by little. And then winter comes and he has no food. And this is what the Lord is warning against. Look what it says. Poverty will come upon you like a robber. Now, what you guys need to understand about a robber, robber is not the sneaky guy who comes into your house, takes off with your TV, and, uh, you know, you've never seen him. That's not the robber. When the Bible talks about that, that's the thief. The robber is the guy who comes with a club. And he beats you, and he takes your stuff, and he leaves you. Just like the story of the Good Samaritan, you remember? Robbers came upon him, left him for dead. He says, poverty is going to come on you like a robber. What's he saying? Look, guys, this is not a little thing. He's saying, man, you're going to be in life or death situation because of your laziness, because of your sluggish ways, because of these decisions. And each one of those little surrenders was a choice to be not on the road of life, but on the road of death. And while you're laying there in your bed, you may think, there is a way that seems right to a man. It seems good. This is all going to work out. We, we teach people to be this way in our nation. We teach them this. We punish them if they go out and find work. We reward them if they stay home and don't. That's just a fact. And, and what the Bible declares about it is that's not the way to life. Now, maybe we're going to survive another 20 years, 40 years, 50 years. I don't know. But one day, we won't be able to do that no more. And then what will those people do? You've all heard the statement, right? It's better to teach a man to fish than to give him a fish. Because if you teach him how to fish, he can provide for himself. But that's not what we're doing, is it? We're doing the opposite of that. We're teaching people to be dependent upon a handout from the government. And when that government is not able to do it no more, what happens? Where do you get your food from? So the idea that the Lord is laying out here to the sluggard, the idea, and I want you to recognize, the sluggard is not just a guy who has a character flaw. It's also a moral issue. Because it leads to to things. It leads to the loss of freedom. You can be in debtor's prison. It leads to the frustration of getting nowhere. And ultimately, it leads to the loss of life. Poverty will come on you like a robber. That's what he's saying. You're going to get beat with a pipe. When you don't have no food, what, what are you going to do then? What are you going to do when winter comes and you haven't prepared? What are you going to do when all those things happen? Hope that someone can take you in? What if they can't? What will you do? What will you be left with? And so this is the call. The poverty is going to come. And this word poverty is a word for absolute destitution. Look, this is not, it's not riches that the lazy man lacks. It's food. It's not riches that the lazy man lacks. It's the necessities of life. The things he needs to live. That's what he lacks. And so the word of God is calling and saying, look, if, 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 son, if you see the sluggard, understand that he needs to change his road. 
Because if he stays on that road, it goes to the place you don't want to be. That road leads to death, not life. That road leads to destruction. He needs to, he should get off of that road. Then we come into lesson number three. Lesson number three is the lesson of the troublemaker. And you see ultimately the seven marks of a troublemaker and seven, uh, seven things that God hates. We'll see in a moment after that. But the seven marks of a troublemaker. It says, a worthless person, lesson number three, a worthless person, a wicked person, goes about with crooked speech. Now the word for worthless is the word Belial. It, uh, it's a word that's going to be utilized of the devil over and over again in the New Testament. He's going to be called this same word. So the idea is not someone who has no value. The idea is focused more on wickedness and evil than it is of just someone without value. Everybody tracking with me? So the idea here, we're talking about a troublemaker, a wicked man. What are the signs of a wicked man? Look at it. He goes about first with crooked speech. He goes about with crooked speech. Um, the old cowboy Indian movie said, the Indians would say to the, the, the cowboys, right? You speak with what? Forked tongue, man. You're, you're, you're saying two different things, right? Fraudulent speech. Your speech is crooked. It's not straight. So he says this is what marks that wicked man. He speaks but he's not telling the truth. It's always got some scheme in it. It's always got some plan in it. It's got something in it to, to benefit himself or, or his people. But the idea is his language is not honest. His language is not honest. He's not talking about the words he uses. He's just talking about the, the way in which he tries to get ahead. You guys ever met people like that? People with a fraudulent speech, constantly lying. Then it says in verse 13, he winks with his eyes. Oh, what in the world is that about? Oh, you guys know what this is. You ever had somebody say something to your face and when you turn around and they wink at somebody else? Yeah, yeah, no, I don't really mean that. But I'm just trying to get what I want. Are you tracking with me? He winks with his eyes. The idea is that as soon as you turn away, he says, something to your face and as soon as you turn away he's letting everybody else know yeah that's not i'm not really going to do that right are you with me so this is the idea of winking with the eyes he signals with his feet what in the world does that mean you ever seen them guys you talk to and they do that old aw shucks oh shucks you know and they kick in the dirt it's all symbols and signs of a person who is dishonest this is what it's talking about. This guy's dishonest. He has crooked speech, winking with the eyes, signaling with the feet. He's trying to pull one over. He's trying to, he'll do whatever it takes for you to believe his story. What do I got to do for you to believe my story? You know, I'll do whatever that is. I'll, I'll, I'll dance a little jig for you, whatever. I just want you to, to believe what I have to say so that I can finish ripping you off. So the idea here, he's got... He's signaling with his feet. And then it says he's, he's pointing with his finger. Right? Sitting down, talking with you. You just got yourself a nice, hot basket of French fries. And somebody says, hey, look at that. Then what happens? Yeah, before you know it, you're missing a fry or two or a handful or a bite of your burger. You guys get the idea, though? This is what he's talking about. He points with the finger. 
distracting you, right? Like he, you're there with two guys walking down the road and he says, hey, what's that over there? Meanwhile, the other guy is reaching into your bag and stealing your stuff. And the point is, this person is a troublemaker. All he exists for is to cause problems. His speech is crooked and everything he does carries about with it this idea of causing problems. Now, just in case we hadn't got far enough to understand all that, look at the next thing. With a perverted heart, he devises evil. Now, we all got this, guys. We all got hearts that are just a little twisted. The Bible says of our heart, it is desperately wicked and who can know it the question is do we believe it do you believe that oh no i got a good heart well that's not what the bible says the bible says you got a wicked heart and that wicked heart needs to be in submission to christ and apart from being in submission to christ that wicked heart sooner or later is going to want its own thing and i think if we could if someone could honestly pour over the things we've said and done in our life, they're not going to have a hard time finding our wicked heart. So what is it about the troublemaker? Well, this troublemaker, he's constantly devising evil plans. There's always another one. There's always the next one. And the question to ask ourselves is, the one who gives himself over to that wicked heart, what road is he on? It's not the road of life, is it? And the call for wisdom out of the book of Proverbs is get off the road of death. Why this road don't have no bridge? And you guys are going 100 miles an hour. Get off. Get off. The way we get off is not to deny. Don't deny that we're liars. We lie. Don't deny that we've done things deceiving other people so that we could get ahead. Don't waste your time doing that. Confess it. Repent of it. Allow God to bring that perfect work in our life and get off the road of death. The road of death is a road of denial saying, oh, no, no, that's not me. Really? I never met people like that. I met a lot of people who talk like that, like, yeah, I would never do that. I have a nickel for every time somebody said, I'll never do that. And then do it. I remember had a conversation with a young man about his marriage, and this was probably 20 years ago. And uh, I was concerned because I saw a lot of my same issues in him, and I was afraid he would do what I did. So I knew his family. I knew his mom and dad. So, so um, I just told him, hey, just keep your son in prayer because I'm afraid of this. And the, the last dying gasp of pride shouts out, oh, no, he would never do that. Yeah, I'm sorry. Our hearts are wicked. Our desires not submitted to Christ want wrong. That's what we want. And that's the sign of the troublemaker, man. We want to get off of that road. We want to realize... I don't want to have, I don't want to constantly be thinking of ulterior motives. How is it that, that this plan, how's this next plan going to help me? If I do this or do that, somehow I'm going to get ahead. My heart wants to do that. So we bring that heart into submission to Christ. And this is the heart of the troublemaker. What's the next thing that he says? He is continually sowing discord. 
causing fights everywhere he goes. Problems, discord. There's always some kind of bickering right behind him. The Bible says in Psalm 23, it's one of the phrases I love and I talk about often when I do funeral service. That is the idea that the psalmist declares when he says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. When we are on the road of life, when we're following Christ Jesus, who is the picture of wisdom, what should be in our wake? What's behind us? Goodness and mercy. What is the book of Proverbs saying is behind the troublemaker? Fighting. Discord. Right? The idea is that what's in the wake, what's following behind this person uh, who finds himself in this place is fighting continually discord the the idea is that it causes schemata a schism a division right is the body of christ divided look i don't care what denomination you hang on the front of the door the body of christ is not divided the denomination all denomination is basically saying is we like to worship this way or that way that's it that's what it all comes down to we like to worship this way we like hymns and an organ we like uh, drums and a guitar we like to have more of the gifts of the spirit evident in the service we like to have gifts of the spirit evident in other meetings that's denominations none of that is what saves you do we get that none of that is what, it's jesus christ christ crucified that's what saves us putting our faith and trust in him the body of christ is not divided are there different things that we like yeah some of you guys drive trucks some of you guys drive cars. At least one of you drove a motorcycle tonight. Yeah, you probably got a couple dents. I got, I got a busted tailgate on mine. So we all have, but what, what is that? That's just our, our, the things we like, right? That's all the denomination is a name that says about what I like. It's not division. That's not the same thing. It's not the same thing if somebody says, you know, I really like to be in a smaller church with pews. I don't want to sit in a chair. Well, that's not, that's not a division. That's saying, right on, do what you want. I want to go someplace where I wear a suit and a tie. Somebody else says, I want to go someplace where I can wear flip-flops and a t-shirt. That's not discord. That's just choices, right? That's diversity in the body of Christ. Discord is when we fight. That we shouldn't do. Yeah? Discord is when we have disunity. The body of Christ should be unified. But what is behind the troublemaker? What is it that he's planting? The Bible says, do not be, uh, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, what? That shall he also reap. So if I plant tomatoes, I'm not going to get cucumbers. Right? So if what I'm planting is discord disunity lying cheating taking advantage of people i'm gonna reap trouble thus he's called the troublemaker so that's the idea what a man sows that's what he's gonna reap and then what this guy is reaping is discord continually behind him verse 15 tells us something about where that road leads what's it say Therefore, calamity will come upon him. Now, calamity, folks, is not a good thing. Calamity. Calamity is going to come upon him. This is, this is a word of destruction. And in a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. That's not good. 
What is it that the that through poetic speech, what is it that the writer of Proverbs is trying to tell us? What road is that? The road of death, right? This is the way of death. Lying, cheating, scheming. The troublemaker's road is a road of death. What about being lazy and not working and not planning ahead and not doing those things? What is that? That's the way of death. What about, what about making yourself the guarantee for somebody else's loan out there that you don't really have any kind of relationship? What road is that? It's a road of death. Because all of those things lead to the same thing. Discord. Fighting. Frustration. Anger. Does that all sound like the fruit of the Spirit? No, we know what the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy. How about peace? Gentleness, meekness. Right? We have this idea of what kind of things. That's what we ought to be sowing, right? And if we sow that, what will we reap? We reap what we sow. That's what is coming back. That is what's coming forth. So, while my life may still be difficult, I I just talked about this at, at Jerry Cox's funeral. We had Jerry Cox's funeral. One of the things I said about her that, that uh, I think was uh, it's absolutely true that, is that goodness and mercy followed her wherever she went. After she left the room, you were happy for having seen her. She usually brought joy and, and, she, and uh, she just was a neat lady. Well, why is that? Well, does it mean her life was perfect? She never had hard things? No, she had lots of hard things in her life. But what was she planning? What was she sowing in her life? Was she running around lying, cheating, scheming? Was she being lazy, laying around doing nothing? Was she trying to, to be a loan shark for people she didn't know? Nope. What was she doing? She was sowing love, joy, peace. She was sowing fruit of the Spirit and reaping goodness and mercy following her. Because that's what follows Christ. Goodness and mercy. When Christ was on earth, and ministering for those three years, I don't think you can think of an example when somebody was in the presence of Christ that they were upset. They might have gone away sorrowful. They might have gone away confused, trying to understand what he was trying to explain to them, but they weren't sorry for being in his presence. Ask the lepers. Ask the blind. Ask the lame. Asked the people who flocked to him after the feeding of the 5,000. We look at all those situations. What do we see? People wanting to follow what? The goodness and mercy that follows him. Now, as we're considering still the idea of the troublemaker, look at verse 16 because it kind of continues the thought. Hopefully you'll see that. There are six things that the Lord hates. Yea, seven are an abomination to him. Here they are. Haughty eyes. What's that? A proud look. What have we been talking about in the book of James? Where does wars and fights come from among you? Where, what is it? Pride. Your pride. Period. Your, you know, it's those things inside of me. My things. My, my desires for what? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. John would say it's the love for this world. That's how he described that. And anyone who loves this world can't also love Christ. I can't live for the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life at the same time. So the Lord, the first thing in the list, pride. 
Wow, that got shot quick, right? Second thing in the list, a lying tongue. And what's included in this concept of a lying tongue is unfaithfulness. God really does not like unfaithfulness. Right? And so often that's how he describes the people who leave him as unfaithful. We would say the same thing about a husband or wife, right, who leaves. They were unfaithful. That is carried in the idea of the concept of the lying tongue. The lying tongue. So you have pride, lying. The third thing listed, hands that shed innocent blood. In other words, there's no sanctity of life. Because Christ is the way or the road to life, right? So anything that is against life, that's not going to fly well with the Lord, is it? Sanctity of life. Now, there's a lot of ways that that um, I think even in God's law that you can see that. Uh, the Lex Talionis, uh, a lot of people take shots at the Lex Talionis. Well, the Lex Talionis is eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You guys heard of that before, right? It's called the Lex Talionis. That's a Latin name for for it. But the idea of God's law, what's the point? God is saying... Life is sacred. Life is sacred. How do I teach you life is sacred? If you take life, it costs life. The punishment has to deserve, the crime has to deserve the punishment. Not excessive. That's why it was only an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Not lop off his head for an eye. Right? The punishment should fit the crime should fit the crime my question is in a society that says you know this is the this is a punishment for rape a rapist will do a couple years in prison and get let loose and this is what god said take a rapist and kill him which one had higher regard for life because i would say what the bible said had a higher regard for life because you violated it. You broke it. Hands swift to shed blood. The idea is no sanctity. No life doesn't matter. Who cares about life? And really that's a big part of our world today. It is a concept of intentional killing. Intentionally destroying life. We have whole governments that, that, that have survived on that idea. You want to you wanna melt your noodle, do a little study on the war on drugs. Because when you do a study on the war on drugs, you know what we discover? Not only did we make it, not only did we, did we basically um, create the cartels, then we used the cartels to take out the other cartels, and then we took out the ones that were still around at the end. We created it, we fed it, we did it, and we knew what we were doing. We, we didn't, but our nation, the government, the people running things. Are you guys tracking with me, the idea? Well, how could you, a lot of people died doing that. You know, people died in, in Colombia just because of all the choices that we made, you know, whatever, 2,000 miles away or whatever we are, sitting in some, you know, ivory tower. And those decisions cost life. That's hands swift to shed blood. What did it say about it? 
God hates it. Hearts devising wicked plans. What does it say about it? God hates it. What's the idea of devising wicked plans? It means we plan, conceive, and invent ways to do wrong. That pretty much nails the human race, don't it? Things that God hates. Feet fast to run to evil. Feet that are swift make haste to run to evil. What's that mean? There's a zeal to do wrong. A zeal, not just, it's not just, oh, oops, I did something wrong. No, that's a zeal. We're running full speed. We're running full speed, man. We want to do wrong. This is the things that God hates. A false witness. What's a false witness? A false witness, it's, it's kind of redundant, right? A lying tongue, false witness. Are they the same thing? Well, lying tongue kind of points toward the idea of being unfaithful. And false witness is someone who lies that lies that threaten a person or his property. Lying against someone. Lying against someone. False witness. God hates it. The seventh thing. One who sows discord among brothers. Someone who is constantly unleashing conflicts. Now, I don't know if it, if it works for you guys when you look at that. But when I look at that list, I usually find myself in there somewhere. One or two places. Maybe you find yourself seven places. Here's what blows me away. We somehow have this idea that sometimes that we were good, there was some goodness in us, and God saw that goodness in us, and so He provided a way to redeem us. And what we need to recognize is what God saw in us was seven things He hates. And He died for us anyway. Why? Because He loves us. We don't always get to pick who we love, do we? Sometimes, just like we talked about earlier, sometimes it's a grandma taking care of her grandson who's in jail for the 47th time and still wants to help him out. She can't help it. She loves him. And what is it that the Bible says love does? Love gives of itself without any desire for a return. Any hope of a return. That's the way God loved us. He made a way. And I think if we can recognize, rather than saying, oh, none of these things would ever speak to me, but recognizing the, the ones that do speak to me, the ones that do, maybe, maybe I don't see myself as someone who, who gives himself as surety or guarantee for someone else. Maybe I don't see myself as a sluggard. Maybe I'm in the troublemaker category. But somewhere in here, I see me. Certainly we can all see the wickedness of our heart. Because there's no pass for any of us on that one. And to recognize that, that God hates that. He looks at it and he hates that. He hates that about us. But he loves us to the degree that he would leave what we, things we can't even imagine just to come and put on my shoes and walk in my filth and take my sin upon his back and take my punishment 
and make the way for me. And I think when we can see that, when we can recognize the beauty of what Christ has done for us, that's the motivation for me to say, I don't want my heart to be wicked no more. I don't want to be scheming. I recognize that's my character. I I want to surrender that to Christ. I think when I'm honest, when I surrender stuff to Christ and I realize what I'm giving Him, the day in that that mobile home when I fell on my face before God, what I told God I was giving Him was a pile of ash. I got nothing. I'm not bringing something grand to the table. If there's anything good about me, it's something God gave me in the first place. But it's not in and of me. Paul would say, I know this one thing. In my flesh, nothing good dwells. Nothing. And God wants all that nothing good to lay that nothing good down. Just, that's what I'm giving you, God. And then the promise is true. He will give you beauty for ashes. He will redeem it. But we do it out of honesty, not deceit. Not fooling ourselves, not lying about ourselves. God knows you. You cannot pull the wool over his eyes. Oh, Lord, you know I don't have a wicked heart. Oh, yeah, trust me. You Just think about the reality that God has spent all eternity in your mind. The whole time you've been alive, every thought you've, you've thunk. Every reason you ever did it, God's seen it all. He's privy to it all. And He loves you. Not because of all the good things, but because, just because He loves you. You're His child. And He wants better for you. And He has made a way. The way of wisdom is the way of life. It's hearing the cry of our Savior when He says... Jackie, come and follow me. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray.